0: Hey guys, my name's Caleb Thompson. I'm from Lawrence, Kansas a Story Hill Church and um, as we came up yesterday, my wife and I drove back to Ames and just humbled that we get to come back in. Um, and as we remembered our year here in Ames, as we lived here, and even look back even beyond that, our first time visiting Salt Company, Iowa State, with Dana, who's now our worship pastor leading and just dreaming what it'd be like to be a part of movement like this. I was talking with John before um, we even started tonight, just how amazing is we're wrapped up in something that like God's doing here. we sharing the gospel through Salt Companies across the country. I mean, the fact that there are now 19 different churches in university cities across the country, like God's doing something big and incredible and he's so good to allow us to be a part of it. But I'm also mindful that many of you, you're watching this in your room tonight or maybe with that small group of friends and I just wanna reiterate to you how much we care because the whole aim of this is not just to celebrate like sheer growth, but rather celebrate the in the growing and in the going that God has led us to know you. And so because we care, because God's made it possible for us to still creatively connect over the summer in the midst of COVID and seeming uncertainties, we've spent each week walking through Old Testament passages that speak to wisdom and giving particular instruction on how we should live wisely. And so this week we're going to be in Proverbs and we're spending our whole time examining how we can be wise with our words. And so here's what you need to know about Proverbs though, there's actually around 90 Proverbs on words. A mass amount that we could nowhere cover tonight. We're not gonna be able to exhaustively cover each proverb. Um, and here's why though, there's so many Proverbs. What Proverbs is why there's so many is because our words, they actually matter deeply. Like, like think with me about this. It is our words that uniquely make us human. Like when God spoke, he said, I will make man in my image, male and female, I will make them. Like he didn't make us look like him. Like it's not like we look like God physically because God's spirit. So what God did was he not only made us spiritual beings like himself, but notably, he also made us speaking ones too. Like God, who has eternally existed as a communicating God between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he even demonstrated to us as he spoke into creation what we now know he from that created us in his likeness. So fundamental to our humanity then is our words. Like they are a gift that not only connects us relationally to one another, but it's our words that make us like God. so that's the first thing we need to know tonight as we started, it's our words make us like God. But while this is wonderful and real and true, The other reason there's so many Proverbs on words is because our sin has actually caused our words to be what make us not like God. And so while God created us as communicating beings and this reality does shape us, it's also true that our words are the very thing that make us not like God. Like think with me in Isaiah chapter six. I mean, Isaiah, he's standing in the throne room of God and he's overwhelmed both by the holy goodness of God and overwhelmed also with his own sinfulness. And do you know what he says as he stands exposed in the reality of his sin before God? He says, "Woe is me, because I am a man of unclean lips." Of all the sin that he committed, of all the sin that he knew, it was his words that he realized that made him not like God. Week one of this series, Jordan Adams, he uh, he referenced a certain roller coaster experience that I shared now with many of your salt leaders. Um, this is our last staff retreat here at Iowa State Salt Company before many of us would actually go out to the churches that are a part of the network. Like, I think on this roller coaster are now staffers at UNI and Iowa and Minnesota, St. Thomas and Florida, Indiana, Penn State, Wisconsin, and KU. Like, basically, none of us are now left at Iowa State. Um, so this was kind of a big deal tripped in it, and they picked an amusement park to go to. Um, and here's what you have to know about that. They're like, I am absolutely t- terrified of roller coasters, like that week leading up, I had a nightmare, vivid nightmares every night, like riding roller coasters. But somehow, um, while we were there, I worked up the courage and somehow like brought myself to get on. And I I will never forget as this roller coaster started to slowly climb up, and and I'm in the back row, um, sitting by Ronnie Goble, like who's Celtric now at Wisconsin. And and as it's climbing and our feet are dangling, I began to feel a panic that I've never experienced before in my life. And in that moment of pressed panic, four letter words begin to fire out at a frequency that my mouth has never uttered before. And here's why I share this with you, because I obviously was not in the throne room of God, but I was with the salt staff who I consider to be some of the godliest people I've ever met. I mean like, and if nothing else, I'm on a church staff retreat and while you shouldn't do that anywhere, definitely not there. And yet what's in me is sin. And it was revealed by my words. And it's this reality that's actually true for each of us that over and over again, our words will lead us to sin and be unlike the very God who made us to be like him. So if that's the case, if that's what's true of all of us, we need to closely examine how to be wise with our words. So here's what we're gonna do tonight. We're gonna look at three ways that our words should be like God, but the book of Proverbs tells telling us in our sin, they actually make us nothing like him. And, and here's the first one. Our word should point to truth, but because of our bent towards sin, it causes our words to pour out falsehood. Here's what it says in Proverbs 15, verse two. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pours out folly. And so because of this, like because this is all of our tendencies to in some area or another to foolishly pour out falsehood, I just want you to listen with me the strong warning in Proverbs. Like here's from Proverbs chapter six. It says there's six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So again, here from the text, we see among among the things that God hates most, like killing someone who's innocent, is the person who pours out falsehood. Like almost half the things mentioned here that God hates are all our false words. Like our tendency is to pour out falsehood and that's what God despises. And I want you to see quickly that speaking falsehood goes way beyond just merely lying. Like lying is obviously sinful and it destroys relationships and reputations, but but speaking falsely is much more encompassing than just this one area. Like, one major way that we all participate in falsehood this plays out daily in our lives is through gossip. Like, here, here's what gossip is. Gossip is saying behind someone's back what you won't say to their face to either hurt or slander them. And the thing is, we love gossip. Like, it's a delicacy for our culture. Our culture makes millions on gossip magazines and newspapers and TV shows. And it sounds weird to say, but the book of Proverbs actually says that we as people find gossiping words to be delicious. Like here's what it says in Proverbs 18. It says the words of a whisper are like delicious morsels or or food that go down to the inner parts of the body. And in Proverbs 16, the same type of whispering that we find to be delicious, right? That's behind someone's back. It's attributed to a person who's plotting evil by their dishonesty and seeking to spread strife and separate friends. Like, that's gossip, isn't it? It's exactly what it's describing. And our culture is consumed by it, like a delicious choice food that we consume. But what we aren't always aware of is like gossip, like food. It goes down deep once it's consumed. It doesn't just stay as a taste on the tongue. And when it's consumed, it dramatically affects us. It hurts us and it hurts others. Like in the church, we recognize big sins like adultery and how it can destroy particular relationships. But to be honest, we either are blind or apathetic to the reality that our gossiping words can tear apart entire church relationships and we still actively partake in it. And here's the thing we gotta realize. Listeners are just as involved as well too. Like gossip isn't merely the person speaking the lie, but also the person choosing to listen, partake, to hear is also just as involved in the sin. Here's what Proverbs 17:4 says. It says, an evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to mischievous tongue. And what I love about this text is, it would actually shows is while gossip is a prevalent way, we sin in our words, this isn't the only way we sin in falsehood as listeners. Like this proverb says an evildoer is the listener to evil lips. And the liar isn't just the speaker, but the one giving an ear to sinful voices. What it's saying then is this is a much broader sin problem. Like, and and what it's doing is it's begging the question, what voices are you listening to? Like what voice is most influential in your life right now? Or, Or where are you consuming your words? The things you listen to for advice or affirmation or entertainment. And what are those voices saying? What are they saying is funny? What are they saying is good? What are they saying is true? And here's why it's so important to examine the voices we listen to, like the shows we watch, the words we take in. Because all of this has a profound effect on what we say, but also why we say it. I mean, Jesus says what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And in Luke, he says again, that it's from the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Like whatever you're consuming listening to, the voice you are trusting yourself to, that will in turn shape what you speak. Like what you listen to will become the motivating voice behind why you say and what you say. It'll be the why behind what you say. So listening to voices that lie about what is good or what is right or what is truly funny will shape how and what you speak. Like think about how this plays out in our lives. One of the most evident places this plays out is in what we find funny. Right, like our jokes, that, that friend group that you have or that safe place where you can speak more freely and actually get those laughs. It, it's in our tendency to lean in to crassness or to what is crude or to what mocks or sarcasm. And this all comes from a place where we believe that that joke, that that one line can deliver some type of comedic building block that's needed for actual friendship. And all, all I would ask is, like, where is the source of these voices telling us that this is what we need. Because as I read the Bible, the revelation of a speaking God who through Jesus has spoken to us, like where do we get a hint that this is how Jesus spoke? And I share all this not to heap on condemnation or to say that Christians, we should operate in some type of humorless sect of society. It's really the complete opposite. I mean, Jesus, he's the creator of laughter. Humor is his gift and he's in no way simply serious or stoic. But he is sovereign and therefore he dictates what is right. And I'm also not trying to give you some legalistic rule on what show you can watch or what level of dry humor is okay. I'm not trying to give some or create some legalistic measure for your words, but to instead earnestly remind that the gospel, while it's not legalism, it's also definitely not a license for you to speak or laugh in any way that would undermine it. I mean, Jesus, he gave us his words which are true, and he gave them to us so that we will find life. And therefore, our words must match this. This leads to the second point in Proverbs. It's that your words, they have both the, the power of life and death. We can be like God and give life, but also be not like God, and our words can speak death. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says the tongue, it has the power of life and death. And reading this, um, I think we kind of understand what it means But we gotta be honest, like, what is this really saying? Because here's the thing, I know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean we have some type of like Hogwarts power with our words we can do something that seems almost magical, right? And though I realize I have the indwelling Holy Spirit, God is yet to give me the supernatural power to literally speak life into people. And I know for sure he's never gonna give my words the power to take it or to kill. So what does this mean? What is Proverbs saying? Here's what I think Proverbs is getting at. It's getting that your words, they have a real reach and a real power in the realities that can reproduce. Like last year, I heard Solomon teach on James 3, and I'll never forget one of the things he said. He said, we don't have a ton in common with God, but there is one of them. Like you speak and so does he. Like when God speaks, he creates things. He says, let there be light and there is light. And you would be severely underestimating the power of your own words if you don't think that you create things when you speak to. Like, we don't speak stars and galaxies or mountains and oceans into existence, but you still speak things into existence. Like, daily, you have the opportunity to speak life into people. You can bless in a way that your encouraging words can speak others into others' hope and life and promise. I have these two beautiful daughters, Mila Kate and Tegan, both under three years old, who very likely have yet to even experience the first life memory that they'll have. Like they haven't had a day they're even gonna remember yet. And the reason I share that, does that mean that my wife Brandy and I can speak to them however we want because they won't remember it? Like of of course not, it's completely the opposite, both theologically and scientifically. I know that my words are such a critical investment in what they will know to be true about themselves and who God is and what the world is. Like our investment in these years that they won't even remember will shape what they believe to be true for the rest of their lives. Your words are quite literally are an investment. And whatever you choose to do with them will reproduce in others' lives. Like just as God spoke and life came forth and now life is reproduced to the billions, your words can, can reproduce life. But what Proverbs is saying is your words can also speak death. Like your words can speak curses, we've already covered some of this, like gossip and flattery, but there's hatred and anger and bitterness and manipulation. These all sow seeds of destruction. But I think there's even more to this because I think there's something behind it. Like your words, they're ultimately aimed at revealing some form of reality that you're ascribing to as ultimate. Like when your words speak that curse, it's because you believe something to be true of that person. Like your words, they can seek to shackle people to the idea that they are without hope because you're believing that to be true of them or that they're actually too far from love because you're believing that to be true about them or they do not have a God who created them and wants to hold them as adopted children because you're choosing to believe that to be true about them. Also, your words can bring death by cutting off people from life. Like your words can echo the deceits of Satan and point people astray from the real source of life. Like you can speak in a way that pushes people to faith in a job or a relationship or a need to be better. You can encourage idols or you can simply speak in a way that points people completely away from God. We can seek to ruin people in our words, but we can also waste our words in such a way that we can miss the call to point people to reality of a good God who in Jesus has revealed how we can truly have life as we desperately yearn for it. Here's the third way, third way from Proverbs, we need to see our words tonight. Our words, they, they should heal, but now because of our sin, they can break. They can bring brokenness to people. Proverbs sixteen twenty four says, "'Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste "'and health to the body.'" Proverbs ten eleven says, "'The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, "'but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence.'" Proverbs twelve eighteen says the tongue of the wise brings healing, the words of the reckless so they pierce like swords. That last one is so simple, yet so profound. Like I think if we put it even more simply, here's what it's saying. Like our words they should heal, but when we speak without thinking, our words can cut like a knife. Like almost never is it a good thing for you to be cut by a knife, right? Like only in the hands of a trusted and trained and equipped surgeon can a knife cut actually lead to healing. Almost every time that type of cut leads to great hurt and great harm. The same's true with our words. Like rarely ever is a sharp word going to lead to someone's good. So, I think we have to see what it's saying then. It's saying your words are powerful, and while they can lead to healing, like you are sinful, and because you're sinful in this power, they can actually lead to great hurt and great harm. And that means we shouldn't take their power lightly. So, as Rena was thinking back to my college years, and so um, it was a J term class, which meant it was like a really condensed semester over the course of January, and there's not much going on in the campus. We attended some, um, I happened to bring a dartboard back and my best friend brought a blow dart gun and we didn't have much of a social life obviously because we gave ourselves over to this and really enjoyed shooting it. And I even had less of a social life because they had an extra class they were a part of that I didn't attend. And I would just practice the whole time they were gone and got like weirdly good with a blow dart gun. Um, And so got to the point where I thought I was like, piercingly accurate. So much so that um, one night I, I bet my best friend that if I could shoot the lip of a cup on the backside of from across the living room, that he would put the cup on the top of his head and let me shoot off of it. And somehow amazingly, I, I pierced the lip of that cup. And so he put the cup on his head and shot it off. And, but that wasn't enough for us. We decided we needed more. And so then we said, well, how about you put the cup in your mouth? And we got a Sharpie and drew a really small circle. And, and again, somehow amazingly pierced the cup um, and like looking back as I, I thought back to this, it's absurd that we played around with this. Like it is absolutely absurd that we did this. The level of obvious foolishness, now realizing how much harm I could have caused, like how easily I could have kebobbed him through the cheeks, right? Or put out an eye, or imagine what would happen if I would pierced one in his neck. Like what would have happened? Like the amount of pain that he could have experienced and the la- like the lasting marks of such a foolish choice. I say all that, because all of us bear the lasting marks of words that have been spoken into your life. And for some of you, people have foolishly thrown them at you. Like for some of you, these marks look much more like scars of wounds from words. It's maybe because something your parents told you growing up. Or maybe it's because of verbal abuse you experience in relationships or lies that have been constantly spread about you. You feel these wounds, this brokenness. But I think as we think about this, also many of us, we carry around the weight of realizing someone we've harmed because we flippantly have thrown out words to bring them great hurt. Like we have fired out hurtful words which have brought great damage into people's lives and immediately come to mind as we read a text like this. And if this is the case, like if this is our reality in all three areas that we um, we can destroy people, we can bring great destruction and hurt, to people, even death to people with our words. Like, what do we do? Like, what do we do with a passage like Proverbs where we realize we really just don't measure up? Like, what is the chief aim of a book like this teaching us wisdom? Because I don't think it's simply, now try to do better. Because even if we did, we can't make right all the wrong that we've done. And like, clearly we should speak better. There are practical applications to make. But I think these words, these calls, are actually words pointing us to something that is way more life-altering and life-defining. Like, I think Proverbs is actually pointing forward to a third reality that is the ultimate theme of the Bible. It's that though we were made to be like God, but now we no longer are, as we've talked about, God came and became like us so that we can again forever be like him. I mean, John 1, it says the word took on like, think about that. In our words, we were made to be like God, but our words have made us not like God. So then God came, the word, and became like us. We were to be like him, but sin no longer are. He came to become like us, like the second person of the Trinity. He wrapped himself in humanity and he lived perfectly. And then he who knew no sin, Jesus, he became our sin that we have spoken over and over so that we can become again the righteousness of God. And on the cross, the Word made flesh in His death. He actually proclaimed the defeat of our sin. And when Jesus, three days later, He bodily rose from the dead, He declared the promise of our reality to forever be like Him. As I examine this and realize the failure of my own words and ask, what do I do with these failures? Here's what I realize. I need to remain in the victory Jesus has pronounced in His So tonight, for some of you, to remain in this victory means that tonight you just need to believe the truth, what Jesus has done for you. That's your starting point. Just look to what he says is true and trust that. For some of you tonight, it means you need to actively trust Jesus' words on where life is really found. Like, it means you need to rid yourself of the places where you're constantly consuming sinful words. And for some of you tonight, you need to hear that Jesus came because he loves you and he actually wants to heal and restore you. And in that, many of you need to realize God actually wants to use you, an agent of this healing to someone else because he wants you to go to apologize and confess your sin, to repent and ask forgiveness to the person you've deeply hurt. Like as I think about this, like rarely do we ever get the chance to so quickly and practically apply scripture. But like right now, tonight, you can practically reach out and seek forgiveness for your sinful words. Right now, you confess to God your sinfulness and repent and turn. But even more, like one of the coolest parts on teaching a sermon on words is we get to immediately make a tangible application. Like right now, we get to move to this point of worship where we can actually confess with our mouths and sing the realities that we believe in our heart that Jesus has used to save us. So that's what we're going to do, and I know it's not the same as collectively joining together as we so get to enjoy, but the truths are no less, no less in bite. So we're going to move here in just a second to a time of worship, and I encourage you to use your words to remember what Jesus has done for you. Let those words redefine who you are, because that's what the gospel says is now true of us. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word. Doesn't shackle us. It doesn't condemn us. And while it is a mirror that reveals our reality of sinfulness, God, God, your word also is a window, a window to see grace, a window to see a reality that we could never make for ourselves. It's a reality to see Jesus as he became for us and to know that is ours. To know that it can actually shape our days practically, that relationships can be restored. God, that wounds can actually heal. That God, you can do something far greater in your grace than we could ever do in our sin. I pray that the knowledge of who you are as you've revealed yourself in Jesus will move us tonight, that promises will be what we hold onto, not our own failures. That God, you'll move us to a place of trust and worship that we can use our words to enjoy you, to know you and proclaim you pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.